continue our journey through this book of the Bible. But when it comes to gathering together as a church, whether it's like a Sunday morning or, um, you know, uh, in, in a community group, in a small group, right, what do you expect? What are you hoping for when you gather together? Right, for this church in Corinth, right, right, if you've been tracking with us in this series, right, there are just wild things going on in the church. Right, people suing each other, just wild scandals happening, a lot of division and bickering. So I would guess that if we were a member of that church in Corinth, we would be expecting something to happen every, every Sunday gathering, a fight to break out, some kind of drama, uh, something disturbing or surprising to happen uh, if you're a member of that church. And so it got me thinking, well, what, what do we expect as followers of Jesus? What should we expect when we gather together with other believers? Right, so for some people, right, a Sunday service is, is uh, what they expect, right? They, they think of it as a tradition. It's something that they grew up doing. They grew up going to church, so they go to church. And so they continue that, that tradition. And a lot of times, right, for, for people that are going to church is a tradition, the expectation going to church is that nothing changes, Right, because they want that tradition to continue. So if a church makes a big change, it, it threatens that tradition, and so they're up in arms when it comes to change. For other people, right, um, they go to a church service to uh, meet some kind of religious duty that they feel. Right? They feel it's the right thing to do to be a good citizen, to be a good person. And so for a person that, that goes to church for religious duty, right, they're expecting maybe some kind of checklist, a moral checklist of things that they need to do. Others see church gathering as an emotional experience. Right? They, they, want to, uh, they want the music to be upbeat and the messages to be positive. Right? They want to feel moved and motivated to live their best life and life to the fullest. While other people, right, they, they go to church in order to connect with other people, to network uh, to find and build relationships, to meet some kind of social need. And so they'll expect the church to, to have certain functions and gatherings that meet their social needs because that is what they're expecting. Yet God's vision for the church, right, it's much greater than that. All these examples I listed. Right, it's an expectation that we can come and gather together and experience Jesus together, where God can be celebrated and God can be enjoyed. And so the church in Corinth, they were missing out on that. They're missing out on experiencing God the way that he intended. And so that's one of the reasons why Paul gives them this instruction on what their church service should look like, on what it would look like to gather together with other followers of Jesus. And so we're going to be encouraged that as well. What should we expect? What, how should we live in light of God's word to the church when we're gathered together? We're in chapter 14, verse 13. And uh, we read last week that Paul, he zeroed in on two particular spiritual gifts. Right, every Christian has a spiritual gift uh, that's to be used to bless others. And Paul zeroed in on the gift of prophecy Right, which is speaking what God brings to mind spontaneously. And then the gift of speaking in tongues. Right, that's, whether it's speaking uh, another human language that 
a person never learned before, or speaking a non-human language. And so Paul's going to continue that discussion on, on prophecy and speaking in tongues, but then he's going to give further instruction on the structure of gathering. So let's look at verse 13. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the Spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks? Since he does not know what you're saying, right? If you're speaking in a tongue. For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church... I'd rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, that's Isaiah, I will speak to this people by, by people of other tongues and by lips of foreigners. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in tongues, then, is in t- intended as a sign not to believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. All right, what's going on here? All right, so Paul's saying that if you have the gift of speaking in tongues, but you don't know what you're saying, then you're not being helpful if you're speaking in tongues among other people. And the reason why is because what you're saying can't be understood even by yourself. But the Corinthians, they seem to uh, love speaking in tongues in front of each other, right? Because it seemed to make them look more spiritual. Right? If you see someone speaking in some other language, right? And they look like they're on some kind of high, you might think, whoa, they must be really experiencing God. But Paul's saying, no, no one's understanding you. And so what you're saying isn't really helping. So that's why Paul's saying, don't be childish in your thinking. Don't try to impress others by speaking in tongues when you're not building anyone up because Paul said tongues is a sign for unbelievers not for when the church is gathered and there's no interpreter so Paul quotes from Isaiah 28 when he talks about the law and Isaiah 28 is about God using foreigners who speak an unknown language to bring his message to a rebellious people who wouldn't listen to God in their own language and so it was a message of judgment here it was a sign of uh, tongues in Isaiah was a sign of judgment. And so Paul's calling the church, right, when they come together to worship, to worship God with their intelligence, with their intellect. That's the first point. Right? When we come together, we, we want to use our minds, our intellect. Someone can speak in tongues and they might feel, feel spiritual. They might get a spiritual high from it, but no one under, un- understands it, right? Because it's unintelligible speech to others. What they say is not building anyone up. So Paul wants the, the church to worship God with their emotions, but also with their minds. God has given us a mind to reason and to think deeply about the good truths of the gospel and to, then to apply those truths to our lives. He wants our words to instruct others, to encourage and admonish and comfort others, not to confuse people with unknown languages. Paul then goes on. 
He says, if therefore the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Right? It's crazy. What's going on? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, right? Because he understands what's being said. He'll worship God proclaiming, God is really among you. What then, brothers and sisters? Whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. See, when the spiritual gifts are being used to build up the church and to love one another, someone who doesn't know Jesus, right, comes into a gathering, maybe it's a Sunday morning, but maybe it's in a small group gathering, someone who doesn't know Jesus, they hear God's word through someone speaking prophecy, and they understand what is being said, unlike a tongue, and they come to experience God. Right, this is the gifts being used properly right, to build others up. And this is not only for the gift of prophecy. Right? Paul says, right, someone brings a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue with its interpretation. Right? Others are coming and gathering together and they're using their gifts to bless one another. When we come together, right, we should come with an expectation to experience God. The second, second uh, mindset to have as we gather together is to come expecting to experience the Lord. Because that's what Paul is describing here. Someone coming in and saying, surely the Lord is in this place. Right? Jesus said that when two or more are gathered together in his name, he is there in their midst. Now we would say, okay, but Jesus, he said that he's with us to the end of the age. Right? We know that Jesus said that. God is always with us. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. So why would Jesus say, okay, when two or more are gathered together, he's in our midst? Right? Because Jesus, we experience Jesus in a special way that we wouldn't experience Jesus if we were alone having quiet time by ourselves at home. We experience Jesus there definitely, and he is with us, but he is with us, and we experience him in a special way when we are gathered together with other Christians. And I think that's why 2020 was so hard, right? When, when many of us were, 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 were just on our own by ourselves, right? Because we're created for community, to experience God together. And so we should come every Sunday, every community group, every time we gather with another believer, expecting, okay, we can experience God in a special way. <coughs> Excuse me. Because that's what Jesus says. Come with expectation that Jesus is with us and he wants us to exclaim, God is in this place. He is near to us. But we also see from the text that we're also to come to serve. Again, Paul's describing someone's bringing a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue with this interpretation. Right? This, this implies that we all come bringing with us, a mindset to serve one another, to build others up with what the Lord gave us. It's easy to think, right, and in, in our consumeristic society, 
right, whenever there's a gathering, to view it like a buffet line. To be, view even a church gathering, a fellowship gathering, like a buffet line. Right, like when you go to a restaurant and you see a buffet, the mindset is, all right, I'm going to get all I can. I'm going to get all the good food that I want and leave the food that I don't want. The focus and the mindset of a buffet is to receive, to receive. But that's not what Paul's describing here. Because right, p- people can easily choose a church to attend, a small group to attend, based upon what they can get out of it, what they can receive. But Paul here describes a picture of both giving and receiving. So it's not a buffet line, but it's more like a potluck. Where a potluck, you come and you receive and you enjoy the food that others have prepared, but in a potluck, you also come and you bring a food that you yourself prepared. And it's this vision of everyone coming and bringing something to bless others with, while at the same time being encouraged and built up. Everyone comes to contribute and to experience God's grace through the body of Christ together. If you're curious on how you can do that, what that looks like for you, 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 you want to bring a dish to the potluck, uh, talk to Pastor Mike or myself after service. We'd love to, we'd love to uh, talk to you more about that. So we come to bring. But just like any gathering, when we come together, we also need to come with a consideration for one another. That's the next thing we want to see here. A consideration for one another. Verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two, or the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Right? If you're someone that can speak in tongues, one of the ways you exercise that gift, if there's no interpreter, it's, it's praising God. You see here it says, speak to God. Tongues is primarily a gift uh, from the individual to the Lord, unless there's an interpreter. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and others should evaluate. But if someone has been revealed, something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So in, in the Corinthian church, it seemed like it was just kind of chaotic. They're getting together in a home, and people were just talking out of turn. Uh, they were hogging uh, uh, the, the time. People were talking too much. Some were speaking in tongues, and there was no interpretation. It was a pretty chaotic scene, very disorderly. And Paul's saying that doesn't reflect who God is. God is a God of order and a God of peace. And a way that the church reflects God's peace and order is through considering one another. Right, Paul's t- telling people to listen to one another, to take turns speaking, to give each other space to speak. If someone's speaking in tongues, there needs to be an interpreter. If someone is sharing what, what they believe God put in their mind, on their minds, then others should listen. And they're to take turns sharing. So no one is dominating the group time. No one is monopoly, uh, uh, monopolizing it for their own benefit. And that takes humility, right? Because there are times we really feel impassioned to share. And we might take up all the time in community group. 
Now, uh, someone might say, well, you know, I, uh, I couldn't control myself, right? Sometimes we can get like that, right? Like in, in a group setting with your other Christians, and maybe you or someone, right, they'll, they'll talk the whole time. And they'll say, you know, I couldn't help it. The Spirit just came upon me. And, you know, I shared the entire group time. I couldn't help it. God was speaking through me. I was an instrument of God, even though it was an hour long in a group discussion. But Paul's saying, no, the, 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 the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets. In other words, the prophets can control the amount that they share. We have control over the use of our spiritual gifts. Right, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So for someone that overshares, it wasn't because they were being led by the Spirit, but it was out of a lack of self-control. Maybe super excited, but not self-controlled and not considerate of others, giving others the opportunity to share as well. So giving space to share and to be a good listener. Now, the early church, right, they gathered in homes. So they were much smaller than, than this kind of setting. And so their worship services look different than nowadays. So some of this stuff that we're reading about, yeah, it, it, it can happen in a bigger gathering like this. But for the majority of this, it happens in smaller groups. It happens in community groups or maybe the ladies' gatherings or when the men get together or in, in smaller groups like that. Because it's in those kinds of settings where a lot of this dialogue and a lot of this sharing and kind of going around in the circle can, can happen in a smaller group. In a large group, it'll take forever, right? It'll take hours upon hours. But in a smaller group, it can be done in a more intimate and more personal and more, a more uh, a thoughtful way than in a large group setting. But here we see, right, that, that they're giving each other consideration in their sharing with one another. Everyone has an opportunity, Everyone's using their gifts. And, and so we want, we want our gatherings to be places where the gifts can be practiced, where this kind of stuff can happen. Paul later, as he finishes this chapter, he gets into some statements, as we read on, that, that Christians debate about. Let's look at it. Verse 34, or end of 33. As in all the churches and the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject to to sub submit themselves as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for women to speak in the church. All right, we'll get to that. Let's read on. Um, so, actually, let's just pause here, right? This is, this is a very tough topic, right? And Paul's going to repeat at the end of verse 33 that everything is to be done in order. Right? There's this order and roles that are being reflected here. Uh, and there's a purpose and structure that reflects the goodness and greatness of God in the church gatherings. But not only that, but men and women, right, we have roles that we reflect and relate, reflect the goodness of God and relate to others. So how do we then understand these verses, right, in verse 34 and 35? Because it's probably what we'll zero in on in, in, in this passage, right? It's not an easy passage. And that's why there's a ton of different interpretations uh, on this. So it's difficult to understand, okay, what is Paul saying regarding the ladies? Now, uh, he's definitely not saying women shouldn't talk in church. 
That's definitely what he's not saying. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, women were prophesying and praying in the church. Okay, so it's not that. So what in the world is he saying? Well, this isn't the first time that, that Paul is talking about gender roles in 1 Corinthians. If you remember in chapter 11, Paul talks about gender roles. How men and women in the church, as well as husband and wives, can reflect who God is. In chapter 11, Paul describes the roles that men and women play actually reflect who God is in relation to the Father and the Son. Right? God the Father and God the Son, they're equal in value, but they have different roles. Right? The Father did not become human. The Father did not die on the cross. Jesus became human. Jesus died on the cross. Yet they are equal in value, but different roles to play. And so men and women, right, we have, we're equal in value, and we reflect who God is through the roles that we play. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you look at verse 3 in chapter 11, Paul says, But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and, the, and God is the head of Christ. Right, so God the Father is the head of Christ. Right? There's this role within the, the Trinity that's going on. And men and women reflect God the Father, and they reflect God the Son through their relationship to one another. This isn't about, right, when we talk about God the Father being the leader, this isn't about selfish, self-serving leadership. This is about servant leadership, where husbands lay down their lives for their wives. They give up their lives for their wives. Men and women, in the context of marriage, in the church, have roles that reflect this beautiful relationship between God the Father and God the Son. These roles that we live out and illustrate to illustrate who God is within himself. So the Father and the Son, right? Father and Son, and, and who Jesus is to us. Jesus and the church. So in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're not going to go there, right? Paul described, that's why he talks about wives and husbands and how they can reflect Jesus' love for the church and the, and the church's honoring of Jesus. That's Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, so then what about this whole thing about women remaining silent? What is Paul talking about? Now, it's important to know that Paul uses creation, the creation account, when he talks about roles. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says something similar, and I think that's going to help us to understand this passage better. 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 13, Paul says, A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain silent. So you see how there's similarities with these two uh, passages. But then uh, Paul uses um, creation as, to, to illustrate his point. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Paul also talks about Adam and Eve in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Okay, so this is similar language in 1 Corinthians 14. And the fact that Paul uses uh, creation to illustrate his point, it's important. Right? Adam and Eve, right? Uh, before the fall, before sin entered the world, there was a creation order that God gave to men and women. And this means that the principle that Paul is laying here 
right? It transcends a specific culture or a specific time in history because he's using Adam and Eve before the fall. So we wouldn't say, oh, Paul's only talking about women in Corinth. Oh, he's only talking about women in Ephesus, which, which is where Timothy was pastoring in. Paul says this is for all the churches, right, in verse 33. In verse 34, Paul says this is part of the law. It's 1 Corinthians 14, 33. And I think what Paul's saying here is he's referring to Adam and Eve, uh, the account of Adam and Eve. Paul is not saying that women shouldn't speak a word. We know that because 1 Corinthians 11, right? When we're prophesying and when we're praying. Paul describes uh, here in this situation, I think what he's referring to is the role of elder in the church. See, when the Corinthians were gathering together, they were prophesying, both men and women. They were prophesying and praying in the church. And uh, when someone prophesied, they, that prophecy needed to be evaluated, whether or not uh, th- that prophecy should be taken seriously or whether or not that prophecy should be taken, not, not taken seriously, not be paid attention to. And I believe that every Christian right, is, is to be a part of that discerning process. But in a distinct way, it is the role of the elders of the church to protect the church against false teaching. Paul says this in Titus when he talks about an elder. He says an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness and rebellion, an overseer, which is an elder, elders are overseers, an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving, what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled. But here's, the, here's verse 9. Holding to the faithful messages taught so that he will be able to encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. So one of the qualifications of an elder, right, is that, that they are to be able to refute anything that contradicts the gospel. Right? Elders are biblically qualified men who care for and protect the church like a husband is supposed to lay down his life and protect his wife and children. So in 1 Corinthians 14, Right, as Paul, right, he's talking about prophecy. He's talking about evaluating prophecy in the church. Right, the elders are to protect the church from false teaching by evaluating what is shared. So in Corinth, what it seemed to be that, that perhaps there were some ladies who were taking on that role of elder, uh, that an elder would operate in. And that seems to be what Paul seems to be speaking into. So it's about disregarding the roles that God has established in the church. That's what Paul is calling disgraceful. Paul is not saying it's disgraceful from a woman to talk in church. That's not what he's talking about. right? The disgrace is when the church rejects the roles uh, that God has established. Because this entire chapter, it's about roles of men and women. It's about the roles of those who can speak in tongues and those who prophesy. Right? And it's to do it in, in, an, in a way, in an orderly, structured way that reflects the God of order. And so the, the church in Corinth, it seemed like they wanted to do things their own way. They wanted to worship God uh, on their own terms, as if they received a special exception from God. And so Paul says this, right? He, he says in verse 36, 
Or did the word of God originate from you? Or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. Right? Paul's saying, this is not something that I made up. This is not something, my own agenda I'm trying to promote, but this is a command that I got from the Lord. It's not something that he was pulling out of his pocket. Right? So what Paul is doing, he's calling the church to live under God's word, to be biblical in their worship of God. When we come together to be biblical, to fall under God's word. The Corinthians thought, ah, we could just do it our way as if they had a special word come only to them. But Paul said, no, that's not the case. The structure and the strategies that, that God lays out in his word for the church is for our blessings, for our flourishings. And it's, it's easy, I think, for a church to lose sight of that. Right? A church can get caught up in letting tradition guide their lives. For example, they'll say, oh, we've always done it this way, and so we're going to keep doing this way, doing it this way, even if it contradicts what God's word tells us to do. Let's try our best to uh, fit in. Right? There's other churches that, 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 that try to fit in with the culture. They'll let the culture guide their, their structure and beliefs. They'll want uh, to fit in with the best and most popular beliefs of the day. Right? And they don't want to follow the outdated words of someone like Paul. And in that case, right, we, if we follow that route, we end up being like a chameleon, right? always changing our colors to fit whatever keeps us from being either canceled or hated. But we're not chameleons. Jesus calls us a city on a hill, a city that reflects the light of the gospel, that reflects the love of Jesus through our worship of God as God intends us to worship. A city on a hill doesn't keep the world out of its city, but calls people living on the outside, living in darkness, to come into the city and to enjoy the light of God's love. And that's why we gather together. We gather together to reflect the glory of God that he has given to us through Christ. It's not something that we created on our own, but it's because Jesus came, who is the light of the world, right, to live, to die, and to rise again for us that he would give us new life and bring us together as a church family, different yet equal, reflecting who God is to a watching world. Where there is serving and enjoying one another and where, where God is experienced. And, and that's our prayer. That's my prayer is that people who come in would say, you know, surely God is in this place because they see the love that, that we all have for one another, they see God working powerfully through his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus, for the life he has given us. And we pray, Lord, that we would respond to your words. We pray that, that you would help us more and more to reflect who you are and to trust you even 
even at times when things don't make complete sense, at times where we might feel that there are better ways to go about it, but Lord, that we would, would trust that you created us as our maker. And so you know exactly how we flourish best. And so as we come together and as we serve one another in love, the Holy Spirit, you would empower us to serve one another in your strength that we would be built up and others would come and say, surely God is in this place. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.